0: So before Ian comes and speaks to us, uh, I'm just going to bring the reading tonight, which is from Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. So that's Acts 8, 26 to 40. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south, down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of, the, of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning, beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched him away, Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Ian. Hi, everyone. Nice to see you.
1: And as somebody used to say, to see you. Hey, (laughs) great. Well, it's better than being stuck on the motorway just outside Dover, isn't it? Be honest. (laughs) I don't ever remember starting a message with a disclaimer before, uh, but I need to tell you that I had not seen the August program before I planned and prepared uh, this message, and it was only when I, I came to see the August program for on, on Friday when it, it came out that I realised that there was maybe some uh, duplication going to be taking place. But having said that, sometimes God has to tell you twice to get the message across, doesn't he? So, so there we go. Anyway, back to tonight. Uh, I don't know about you, but every time I see the red arrows, I get, ah, you know, it's just amazing. And over the Jubilee celebrations, was there anybody that didn't see them? No, I think we, you know, they were just about everywhere, weren't they? Uh, and it's occurred to me that there are some lessons uh, that we can draw from them. And I want you to watch the video. I'm going to bring four key things out for us from this as we, as we, as we go on. And uh, and just see if you can spot them too. Let's go, Paul. Mm. <laughs> so the four lessons that I got. See how many you you got. I won't ask you. First one: the way that the pilot in the front leads. There are some similarities there in the way the Holy Spirit works, and we'll look at those in a minute. And the situation in our church is not totally dissimilar. Utterly amazing activities, but entirely achieved through teamwork. Thirdly, they're better together. Impressive as they are individually, put them together and it becomes awesome, doesn't it? And it's their unity that makes you gasp so close together, but actually in unity. And also, finally, did you notice the, the lines on the cockpit, uh, the final little sequence? Uh, these are the explosive device that removes the cockpit uh, and enable the pilot to eject at very, very high speed. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at that in a minute as well. And, and just to look at some of the way that these things work in practice. Uh, and also, because uh, we're a team as, as church, we come together as a team, uh, I've asked various individuals, or rather Ian has asked various individuals, uh, to come up and just give a brief testimony as to how some of these things have worked in their lives. So firstly, the work of the Holy Spirit in leading teams. The chap who is the squadron leader uh, is a chap called Tom Bold, and he's there in the, in the bottom corner. And he has the duty uh, of leading the team. He's the duty of training the team. He equips the team. He's responsible for all aspects of the display. He's always with them. He's always talking. It was his voice that you could hear. And he's always leading from the front in that number one spot. And like the, Holy, like the, the squadron leader, the Holy Spirit leads the way. He's the voice in your ear, just as the squadron leader is communicating all the time. Did you hear that voice? It, it was all, Every time there was a change of direction. Now. Do it now. And timing is crucial in that. if any of them are out of time, it's not just a, a, a bit of a mess. It's a disaster for everybody and it brings the whole thing down. And we need to learn to recognise the Holy Spirit's voice as he prompts us as a team, as church, as believers, to do what he says when he says it, because that is utterly crucial. So how does the Holy Spirit lead us in church and indeed outside of church? I think there are a number of things. he gives us the words to say, and we read about that in, in, in Mark thirteen eleven, And also we read that he gives us the power and the gifting that we need, Luke 24 and, and 1 Corinthians. Power precedes gifting. That's really important, because otherwise the gifts are all about us. But it's all about his power, his enabling, that gives us gifts to use for the benefit of the church. And understanding spiritual truths. We read about that in John 14 and 15. And sometimes, these are... We tend to be people that can see better than we can think. And so, a whole load of explanations don't wash it for most people. But a picture, an illustration does. That's why Jesus spoke in Illustrations... And that's why Tammy and Louise are just going to tell us something about how that's worked for them in their home group.
2: So good evening. So so I think as Ian was saying, you know, like teamwork is so important and you know, truly really believe that you're not created to do life alone, life together like the arrows well. So amazing, isn't it? And I think one thing that um, we we've learned as a home group is just it's just so important to be able to do that life together. So a couple of years ago when my sister passed away, I decided to join a home group. At that time the home group was very different. It was a bit's home group that Pastor Lawrence had had put together now after a while it was very much seen that this home group is going to be for women you know women who have gone through you know a few things in life but we are so i thought prompted by the holy spirit just to kind of like step up, prompted by Pastor Lawrence as well, to just step up and take the lead of the home group. And I wasn't too sure, but I knew that the Holy Spirit would equip me because it's not in my power, it's in his power. So I was like, right, okay, so I took it. Lockdown happened. And it's just amazing, isn't it, that during lockdown, how much in home groups whatsapp and zoom was a lifeline and that was like it was absolutely man i know so many groups here can testify that and one thing that i learned with with like you know the group that we had is that we do do life together so for example it'd be sometimes just putting in that verse in whatsapp and someone going that is just what i needed you know again a prompt and it could be sometimes You're on your way to work, and then something comes in your mind, and it's that timing, and someone's saying, I needed that at that time. Or it's like um, a prayer request, right? I'm going through this difficult time. Can you pray for me? Timing, the timing that we have. And I think sometimes it's just having that confidence that when the Holy Spirit prompts you, um, just to go for it. Do you know what I mean? Because we don't know how that is going to impact other people. Now, one thing that um, we, we've had in the home group is just before lockdown, Louise came into our home group, and um, we've we've been you know praying together and working together. But what um, happened a couple of weeks ago is I basically gave Louise this picture. And it was a picture of a beautiful canal boat was gliding along the canal. Then the canal boat came to a lock. The canal boat had to stop. The lock gate shut and the water needed to be raised. And I'll let Lou explain the next bit.
3: She added the bit about the beautiful canal boat. I was like, I was just thinking of chugging along. (laughs) Um, Hi, I'm Louise um, and I go to Tammy's home group, there's about seven of us all together. Um, I came back to this church three years ago, after many years of wandering in the wilderness, to say that my life had changed would be an understatement. I was reeling and devastated after my 27-year marriage was disintegrating after my husband had an affair. I wanted nothing more than to get through this period of my life and come out the other side as quickly and painlessly as possible. Um, I wanted my marriage to be restored and demonstrate God's power, but that wasn't how it turned out. Being in house group with Tammy and an amazing group of Christian women has been a time of great comfort, laughter, support and learning for me. I used to cringe at the way people talked about house group and doing life together, uh, but whatever you want to call it, that's what we do. We all have different challenges, but one thing I have in common with these several members of group is that they've all navigated divorce themselves. None of them wanted it, but despite it, God has loved and guided us through his Holy Spirit and through this group. Often I have times when I sit in church full of questions about God and what he is doing in my life. I feel lost and hopeless, like I'm not making any progress, but my friends in the group can see that God is working and changing me. Uh, Another great friend through church, um, Joanna, (laughs) she was saying that when we have no strength to believe in God, this is when our friends and the church and people like in home group carry us to God like the lame man in Acts 3 who had to be carried to the temple because he couldn't get there by his own strength. Often when I'm at a low ebb, I will reach out to a friend to talk and pray together. I find talking about worries and questions is a great way to understand and cope with them. When myself and Tammy were praying recently and she gave me the image of the canal boat, he, the canal boat I sort of looked into it a bit and Just looked up sort of in simple terms that locks are basically used to make a river more easy to navigate um, and it allows us to cross land that isn't level and that idea about having to wait and be still, I get annoyed when I have to wait, I get frustrated by delays, I accuse God of not doing anything, of abandoning me but really he's making me wait as it's his timing that's perfect, he has a plan for me and I need to learn and trust in him. Um, My final thought was just trying to imagine a canal boat trying to chug uphill without the the use of the locks. That was it. Thank you.
1: Well done. You see, timing is all, isn't it? Louise was ready, she'd been prepared, and then the picture and the message come. It's really important. and also, we'll, we talk about being witnesses to our faith, being given the words at the right time. I'm also told by, by Paul Rowe that the, uh, the pilots have a double-check system. So they, they not only listen to the intercom, but their eyes are always on the front pilot. Because when they're in display, whatever the front pilot does, they do. And we need to watch and react for when we see the Holy Spirit doing things that we do them as well. And the second thing is about the way the Holy Spirit works in teamwork with us. The Red Arrows never forget that the end game is not the display. The end game is bringing honour to the monarch and to the country that they represent. It's not an individual game. It's a team game for a higher purpose. And is that not what church is about? Isn't it just? The Bible says the church is like a body. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he he wills for the benefit of the body. to every believer, no exceptions, we looked into those the other week. A whole load of different gifts. Everything from administration to healing and speaking in tongues and all sorts of stuff. But it's stuff that the church needs and we all need it and we need not to show off with it, but to use it for the benefit of each other. And if any of those planes decided to show off with their particular skill, uh, and it wasn't in line with what the rest of the planes were doing, it would have ended in disaster for everybody. And so it happens sometimes in church, doesn't it? Each of you has a role. Don't be jealous. Don't try to play somebody else's part because it won't end well. Which brings us to the passage that we looked at. And and it's a great example, really. Because we've got Philip there. He's in Samaria. They're having a great mission. Incredible things are happening. Many, many people are coming to Christ. Philip is right in the middle of it. And then out of the blue, the Holy Spirit, or an angel appears, first of all, and says... Go to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, just think about places for a minute. Samaria is maybe, depending on which way you go, it's between 100 and 140 kilometers north of Jerusalem. Uh, The trouble is, there's one or two mountains in between. You can't go direct, so you've got to go round. So, according to to my Google Maps, it's a 21-hour walk. So if you were setting off, so there you are, you've got Philip, massive great uh, crusade, go and I want you to walk along the road which goes south from Jerusalem to Gaza uh, and that's round about another 50 miles uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. He doesn't say anything else about it and the Holy Spirit prompts him to go. It, we're not told that he was given an easy way there, he had to leave what he was doing and set off apparently on foot. What he didn't know was that he was going to meet somebody on that road. He would no idea who until it actually happened, and he would no idea to plan, prepare, anything. What he didn't know was the Holy Spirit had already been working in this man's life through other people, through different sorts of things. And there he was, sat in his carriage, driving along the, the road. Uh, there is, in fact, a little shrine, as in the Middle East, there are shrines, so just about everything, because there aren't many oases on that road, and it's not far off, out of Jerusalem. Uh, but Philip didn't know that at the time, so he was walking down this road. It wasn't the result of a strategic planning meeting, For evangelism, for Ethiopia, or anything like that. He was just told to go. And the Holy Spirit had prepared the Ethiopian's heart, worked through the Word of God, and everything had been prepared for Philip to do his bit, which didn't take very long. As a result of that, there was a church in Ethiopia for the next 2,000 years. That's a result, isn't it? That's a result. It's said that the person uh, with Billy Graham, that Billy Graham only went to the crusade at which he was converted, because his father's farm laborer promised to allow him to drive the truck, that took them to this crusade. Whether he was supposed to drive or not, I have no idea, but that was the basic thing. You know Nobody's ever heard of this bloke, but look what happened as a result. Of his prompt to do what he was told. And Dave and Anna, I can't just see where they are. I've got a little story about that. Where are you? Your folks. It's on video, right, sorry. There's nothing like a plan. Good
4: evening. Uh, sorry, I can't be with you in person. My husband's COVID positive, so um, here I am recording this at home. Uh, mine is about. Uh, God prompting me to say something that had a significance in somebody's life. So, I'm going back a few years. I used to run an alcohol-free bar and Christian dropping centre in Preston, in Friagate. It was called Number 99. We were very involved with students from the University Christian Union. And uh, a lot of them used to help and uh, they were very much part of the ministry there. So there's a young lady who used to come often and help. Uh, We used to, uh, uh, one thing we did was wash up together. She was actually one of our managers at one time as well. Um, And uh, she was very uh, much part of the leadership of the uh, University Christian Union. So we were washing up together and having a bit of a laugh and a chat. And suddenly, God dropped into my mind, tell her to stop smoking. Well, I was amazed because I didn't think she smoked uh, for a second. And I thought, oh, heck, I can't do that. But then I thought, no, God's told me I'm going to do it. So I said, you know, God's just told me to tell you to stop smoking. Well, she was shocked. (laughs) She looked at me. She said, how did you know I smoked? I didn't, I have no idea you smoked, Uh, God just told me to tell you that, Um, he wants you to stop smoking, so she went a bit quiet and we carried on washing up and I thought, oh dear, will she ever speak to me again, Uh, how will this go, but um, the day went uh, as usual, and then the next day she came in again and she said, God really spoke to me yesterday when you said that to me about smoking, she said I have been secretly smoking and um, I'm sure it's very bad for me and God doesn't want me to do it, Uh, so I haven't smoked since then and with his help I'm going to stop smoking, so can you pray for me? So we went upstairs to the prayer room and we prayed that God would help her to stop smoking. As far as I know from that time onward, I I must have worked with her another couple of years. Um, She was involved in number 99, uh, till she graduated. And um, she, as far as I know, she became an ex-smoker from that time on. So uh, I was very surprised God gave me that word, but he does that sometimes. And uh, I think it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's called a word of knowledge. Thank you.
5: Hi. Sorry I can't be with you in person tonight, but I'm stuck at home recovering from COVID. A year or so ago, I attended a 50th wedding celebration. Uh, Jeff had been my best man, and I'd been his. Uh, obviously it was many moons ago and uh, we were in our 20s when we, got ma- when we got married. His sister Pat was at the celebration along with other members of her family. And Pat came up to me and spoke to me. I sat on her table and she said that I had changed her life. And she explained that 40 years ago, it must have been, I was preaching at North Royal Pentecostal Church at a gospel service. And she gave her heart to the lord uh, and she, she had moved to another part of the country i didn't see her after that and her, her daughter became a christian and her whole life was changed as a result of receiving christ that night i was so thrilled because i was totally unaware of the the after effects of the gospel in her life it was like like an explosion which went out and out and it took so many lives What a thrill to know what God can do through seemingly something insignificant and minor. God can bless and multiply and really do something that will bless us and other people. Thank you.
1: So you get the message? Respond to God's prompts, even in the little things. And you've no idea if God's prompted it the sort of size and the significance of the things that will happen afterwards. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit makes us better together. You know, this single plane would be impressive, but it doesn't have the fraction of an impact of a squadron. Spectacular. It's called synergy. And it's about being better together as we serve. And we can read that in 1 Peter 4, that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts and use them to serve one another. Ronald Reagan uh, is said to have had a sign on his desk and it said, there's no limit to the good you can do if you don't mind who takes the credit. There's no limit to the good that you can do if you don't mind who takes the credit. And that's true for us, isn't it? because we have the potential to be an amazing team here at Forward, but only if we play and work as one. The team don't plan their own display. They follow the one prepared by the squadron leader. And if they didn't, it's a big curtains for everyone. And it's the same in church. And it only takes one person who won't play the game, one person who won't follow a lead, one person who's determined to do it their own way, irrespective of what everybody else says or the leader says is the right thing to do, to mess it up for everyone. You know, we, we've seen this in organizations, haven't you? you've seen it in churches, you've, you can probably picture situations. So we serve together, deferring to each other, following a clear lead that we can be better together. And one of the biggest barriers to us working effectively is letting those that we find irritating get under our skin. Now, is there someone that gets under your skin? There's got to be. There's always somebody, somewhere, that gets under our skin that irritates us. And if you think other people are annoying, Just think how annoying you are when you're having a bad day. And then we have this passage in in, in Romans 12. Don't pay back evil for evil. Live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. And in doing this, it's a lovely turn of phrase. It says you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. They're going to feel bad. If somebody's done something unpleasant to you and you're unbearably nice to them, It just makes it (laughs) very satisfying, doesn't it? Uh, And, you know, we have a tendency to see and minimize our own weaknesses and foibles. We look at them through rose-colored glasses. Oh, it's just me. It's just the way I am. But then we look at other people's weaknesses and foibles through a magnifying glass, don't we? Uh, and, And Bob Gass, in one of the readings that we use in the evening last week, commented that If we allow other people's behavior to affect our emotional state, we actually give them power over us. And we allow them to control our lives. And Proverbs 16.32 comments that it makes us like a city without protecting walls, which in those days was a disaster. And Jesus called it turning the other cheek. You say it's not easy to do if somebody's harmed you. That's right. But pray for the fruit of the Spirit that won't allow you to be brought down by them, but will allow you to fill your potential in Christ. I've got a little note here that says, maybe digress to expiation, propitiation issues, if time. And I'm trying to decide whether to do it or not, and I think I just will briefly. People say, why should I forgive people and let people off the hook? And that is a big problem for many people. But the Bible has two words uh, f- for this process, and it's helpful to use them. One is the word expiation. It expiates the sin. So, for example, uh, I'm going to take my life in my hands now. Let's say, for an example, I assault Sarah. I give her a black eye. She might not be very happy about that, and she might feel greatly offended. But actually, in giving her the black eye, I've committed assault. Assault is an offense against the law. Only an authorized representative of the law can forgive me for an offense against the law. So she can't expiate my sin for that, she can't forgive me for that, because the law I've broken is not hers to forgive that's called expiation so when you pay a penalty for a a penalty for something you've done or a crime you expiate the sin by paying the penalty and you pay it to the person who set the law that you've broken and in this case it was the state but at the same time i have grievously offended mr winter here uh, because i've thumped his wife and this is where we have something called propitiation. Because propitiation deals with the relationship and not the offense. Now, he can forgive me from the, from the relationship business, but he can't forgive me for the offense. That's if he's a man to do that, of course. Uh, so, propitiation is about relationships. Relationship forgiveness, relationship letting, letting it go doesn't take away people's responsibility for anything that they've done wrong. And people get very confused with that. So just because somebody gets under your skin and maybe harms you, and you say, I'm just going to let this be, does not mean they're off the hook, because they're not on your hook anyway. They're on somebody else's. And it's either the law or God's or whatever. But relationally, you have to decide what you're going to do. You don't have to be mates but you just have to not hold the offense. Is that helpful? Right. Number four, the escape route. If it all goes pear-shaped. Some of you will have heard about uh, Ian Ferguson's testimony of an escape from an aircraft at high speed and very low to the ground. It was amazing. It made me think I would never want to fly with Ian Ferguson ever. Uh, (laughs) uh, But, the marks on the screen are actually explosive devices. And what happens is that uh, when, when the pilot goes to press the ejector seat, those things explode, push it out, and, and the pilot disappears. And it's about escape. And God never puts us into a situation with no escape. Proverbs 14:27 says, "'The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain offering escape from the snares of death. In 2 Corinthians 11.33, we read how Paul was enabled to escape by being let down the city wall in, in the basket. Uh, we're told on many occasions how God led his people to escape from Egypt and later to escape from Babylon. And we've got two stories from Russell and then from Ian about how God just helped them to escape from a tricky situation. Russell, first.
0: Good
6: evening. Um, just looking around now, and I'm thinking, right, Ted's here, and so Ted, pre me becoming a Christian, knew me very well. He knew my background. He knew where I came from. He knew my way of thinking. So I think Ted will probably latch onto this part of it and get it 100%. So. Going back a few years, I'm at, uh, at Morelands Bible College in 1992. Um, and on a Friday night, I used to help out at the YMCA down in Bournemouth. I used to borrow Ali's car from uh, from college, drive down, and I used to park on what was called the top car park just off the front at Bournemouth, um, probably only two, three hundred yards away from the YMCA. I used to park on the car park. It was free after a certain amount of time certain time, so all the students used to use it. There was a, a, I don't know how many steps off this car park down onto like a little service road, then you used to walk into the back of the YMCA. Now the YMCA used to face basically the park going down to the front and there was a big clock tower in the park, which is quite significant. Um, Now the mention of timing has come up and I didn't know really what was speaking on a part from the Holy Spirit. Um, So, I'm there one Friday night, and I used to help out. We used to go down to the the piers on on the front, helping out with drug addicts and homeless. And for one night, for some strange reason, we were late, and we were very late. So everything had finished. We'd gone back in for our prayer time. We came out. I'm walking out across the service road, up the steps, just as the bell tower on the park chimed, and it was half past one, okay? So I'm walking across the car park, and it was a, it's, it's a huge car park, and I could see Ali's car in the distance next to a security light, and two cars parked next to it, and I'm thinking, why on earth is anybody parked next to my car? see the tailgates open on these cars, and two lads behind each car. Not thinking much of it. Probably gets 20 feet away, and it just clicks and I thought, I've just walked straight into a drug deal here. Now, again, Ted knowing from where I came, I thought, well, fair enough. Don't look at them. don't say anything, don't do anything, just walk straight past, Just get in the car and away. But me being stupid me, walks past, looks in the boot, see two rucksacks. Just as I walk past, out comes a thorn-off shotgun, out comes a baseball bat. And this is the part that Ted'll probably understand and I'm thinking, right, put your thorn-off shotgun away And it's a fair fight. There's only four of you. That's where I used to come from. That was my life way back when. But the other half of me was thinking, come on, God, you're going to have to do something here. And they literally just looked at me. It was like they weren't moving. And I walked past them and just stupidly just said, you're right, lads. Got to the car, got in it. Poor Ali's. Poor little car, never left a car park so fast in its life, I don't think, but off I shot. Got back to Morelands, and probably two o'clock by then. As I'm, I walked through the doors at Morelands College, up the steps, and I could see the lights on in the TV lounge. i think think somebody's having a late night. As I walked past the TV lounge, it burst out, and it Are you all right? Uh, yeah. Where have you been? Why? Well, it got to half past one. We were watching a video and we knew we had to pray for you. So we've been praying for you for all this time. Exact same time as I started walking across the car park when that bell tower bell rang. So if you get those little prompts and God says, I want you to pray for somebody or I want you to do, do it. (laughs) You might just save somebody's life.
0: How do you follow that one? A mine doesn't involve drugs. Um, I don't know if you've ever been towed by anyone in a car. Um, I had an, we had an experience uh, many years ago where our car had completely broken down. We found out later the engine had completely ceased and we were at Joanna's mum and dad's and he said, look, I'll give you a tow home. Um, and it was a, an evening, uh, it was a Sunday afternoon and I was actually leading the service here on that Sunday night and I was like look we've got to go we've got to get this and he went I've got this great new tow rope it's elasticated we'll get home in no time so we set off and I don't know if you've ever been pulled along by an elasticated tow rope what happens is the car in front heads off and you sit there and it stretches out and then suddenly you fire forward (laughs) so they live in Horwich and I'm thinking we're going to go on the A6 and we get to the motorway junction and I now know it's illegal to tow anyone onto the motorway and I'm thinking he's not going on the motorway, he is definitely no he is going on the motorway (laughs) and so instead of just doing 50 miles an hour he thinks Ian's got to get back in time to do the service he floors it. About three times this thing snaps off and gradually, and if you've seen the, the rain today the the clouds gathered and it started to pour down and Joanna and her mum were following it in there they had a van at the time behind so we have this elasticated convoy and it gets to a point where finally we're on this stretch of motorway and and the traffic's built up there's roadworks and the heavens open and he sets off again the rope snaps for about the fifth time he pulls off onto the hard shoulder Joanna and her mum are sitting in the van behind me and suddenly the, everybody else, including trucks, are undertaking me, overtaking me and I'm sitting in the middle lane thinking, I am going to die. The rain was that hard, I couldn't hear myself think, the, the rain was bouncing up and I simply pray. I thought, God, you have to do something now. And as I said the words now, I honestly and genuinely to this day bel- felt it was like two big burly blokes had just come along and hit the car or pushed it. Because I'm looking behind and I can, all I can see is, is Joanna and her mum with their hazards on. And the car, my car was moving so fast as I pulled in behind Joanna's dad, I literally had to yank the handbrake on to stop it moving. And Joanna and her mum were like, you must have got the engine started. And we know that the engine was completely seized. It, it, there was no way I would have ever, you know, that it, it just started. And, it, and to this day, I believe that God immediately knew what I needed and answered. You know, I was prompted. Well, there was nothing else I could. There was no way I was getting out of the car in the rain with speeding traffic either side of me. And I believe that God did an amazing miracle that night.
1: There are other problems that we need to escape from. 2 Peter 1 tells us how God has supplied all we need to escape from the world's corruption. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the temptations in our life are no different from what others experience. And God's faithful and he won't allow us to be tempted more than we can stand. And that he'll show us a way of escape so that we can endure, to bail out what's wrong. And the are feet and we use them to escape. And the problem is that so often we're reluctant to bail out of a situation. We know we shouldn't be in, but equally well, we can move. Just to finish at the end, the other way that things can go wrong is if we don't practice our gifts. The red arrows practice again and again. And Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, written some time apart, And in each of them, he challenges Timothy that he'd let the fire go out. He'd let his gifts go out. He'd let his, you know, it had happened down. So Paul didn't just write to him the once. It was twice, once in each letter. And Timothy had been given a big job. Uh, It was generally agreed that the Apostle John took Mary to live at Ephesus. And they were there for quite some time. And so you've got the picture of young Timothy at Ephesus with big John lurking in the background. And Paul writes to Timothy don't let them look down on you. Who do you think he might have been referring to? You can only guess. I can guess. But as a young pastor he was very likely to feel totally overshadowed. Then of course for John uh, you remember that John was on Patmos and, and Ian preached on the, the message that God gave him for Ephesus. And I always think of John there, sat on the island, uh, and Jesus comes and says, I've got some messages for the churches. And John's thinking, yeah, and the first is for Ephesus. And John's thinking, that's my church. How would you feel? And then he starts telling him about the various things. And this says, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. The Greek doesn't say love for what? It could be people, it could be God, it could be all sorts. But you've lost your first love. Your fire's gone out. So John, as the leader of that church, is told, this fire's gone out. And it's interesting that the, the gospel and the epistles of John, which were written after this event probably, uh, are both totally focused on love more than anything else. John got the message. John definitely got the message. And when you and I, if you're born again, received the Holy Spirit, and he gave us gifts for the benefit of the church, and the intention was that he intended us to keep those and our love for each other and our love for God warm. And we all have ups and downs. If the Apostle John had to be talked to like that, then maybe, you know, it's for all of us. How do we deal? What's our strategy for dealing with the ups and downs of our life when we know the fire's gone out of it and we're not quite as up for it as we should be? And we're not letting the Holy Spirit work as he should do? And we're getting these prompts and we're forgetting about them and we're putting them to one side. What do we do? There are four sorts of worship songs when you think about it, and we've sung most of those types tonight. There are songs which say, come on soul, get a grip. And there are songs which we address to ourselves. And there are songs that we address to each other. When you read some of the words, look who it's addressed to. And often it's addressed to each other as church. And then there are songs that are addressed to the world, which are statements of truth. And then there are songs which are between me and God. Work through that progression. Work that way into his kingdom. Fan the flame. Don't let it go out. And you will contribute to an amazing Holy Spirit teamwork church. And what will it look like? It looked like people that are gracious to each other, understanding of each other, and prepared to give it a go. Are you up for that? Only you can answer.